0: The way that uh, space is negotiated in this play um, between the different characters is, is fascinating. <laughs> Everyone and welcome back to No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Welcome. Welcome back. Thank you all for tuning back in today for what is, I'm sure, going to be another great conversation around one of, actually, one of like my favorite kind of uh, playwrights that I found off the beaten path during college times. Um, not one that I had heard about in high school, but was introduced to in college and just fell in love with.
1: Yeah, today we're talking about another Rebecca Gilman script. I believe it was season one when we discussed her play Boy Gets Girl, which is that terrifying sort of dramatic thriller about uh, the woman who's getting stalked by that guy she goes on a date with in the very Mm -hmm. first scene of the play. That play is fascinating, really sharp dialogue, really interesting characters that really gut-punch into some crucial things about the the way that we interact as people. And this play, in some ways, is very similar to that. Very sharply written, really gut-punching deep into the core of human interaction on tough issues, but about something very different. Today, we're talking about spinning into butter.
0: Yeah, spinning into butter by Rebecca Gilman. Uh, this play is going to be a great conversation. I'm excited for it, and I agree that there are some carryover themes. There are uh, hallmarks of Gilman's work that you can definitely see uh, repeating in this play. The 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 willingness to go to kind of the the I like I like the term gut punch too. The like punch you out of nowhere kind of feeling that you get from these conversations
1: before we start talking about the script though we do want to ask all of our listeners if you haven't yet please head over to patreon.com no script podcast again patreon.com no script podcast that's where you can become a patron a supporter of the show there's various tiers that you can sign up for that will have you make a monthly donation to the show the lowest tier is just a dollar a month for one dollar a month you can support the work that we're doing we love to do it we love these conversations we're so blessed by the listeners that that we have, unfortunately, they're just not free to make. They require some investment from us in terms of money, in terms of hosting fees, script costs, things like that, as well as a pretty significant time investment. So we're asking you for your support. You can do that over at Patreon.com/slash/NoScriptPodcast. If you become a supporter, you get access to patron-only posts, as well as there's other rewards at different tiers that you can check out over there. So we're asking you, please head over there. Thank you so much to everybody who is supporting the show. You are awesome, and we hope that many more of
0: you will choose to support as well. And now back to the script.
1: I'm going to let you take that one because <laughs> I am on the back end of a cold everybody. So, and my voice sounds weird. If I have to break in the middle of a sentence to gag or cough, we'll do the editing work so you don't have to hear that grossness. But my voice is just not in the place that it usually is, so I apologize for that. Hope you'll bear with us as we have this conversation.
0: Yes, indeed. So, uh, we're going to jump into the contextualizing of the play just a little bit for you. Uh, this, this play was, uh, first produced in 1999 at the Goodman Theater in Chicago. Um, that is, uh, one of the theaters that, uh, kind of became Gilman's, uh, home houses. Um, and then it opened off-Broadway at the Lincoln Center in July 26 of 2000. Um, the, the, the play, uh, ran for a time there and then, uh, in, in the next seven years, it was adapted into a film adaptation. So in 2007, it came out as a film with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker playing uh, the main role of Sarah Richards in it. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that, that was a film as well. So many of you may have interacted with this play uh, through that film. Interestingly, and, and this kind of will lead us into uh, the synopsis of the play. This, this play was written about a, a pretty much a real uh, event in Sarah Gilman's, or I'm sorry, Rebecca Gilman's uh, college career. Um, so she kind of used a real life experience to, to write this play and uh, inform some of uh, some of the action of this play.
1: Speaking of that action, the play revolves around Sarah Daniels. She is a dean for students at a fictional place, Belmont College in Belmont, Vermont, which is near a ski slope. Um, And... Sarah is relatively new to the college. We know she's been around long enough to have started a relationship with one of the professors. So she's not brand new. There's been at least at least a semester, we can judge, based on context clues, that she's been in this position. And several sort of themes, several plot tracks converge around her at once. And they sort of relate to the other characters, each of them coming into her office. The whole play is set in Dean Sarah Daniels' office. The first of these plot points is set up right away in scene one, as Sarah has a conversation with a student, Patrick Shebus. Patrick is a student who is studying like environmental science or some such thing, and she wants to give him a scholarship, and the scholarship is for minority students studying this particular track. So in scene one, he comes in, and she basically says, in order to get this scholarship, I need you to make the, the category of minority that you identify as a little more broad than it is he says he's new Eurecan and she says can i just call you puerto rican and they have they go back and forth on that he's uncomfortable on it but eventually she convinces him because it's a very large scholarship and she says she just wants to help him she claims look the the council that evaluates these things is not very culturally sensitive they're not going to get what new Eurecan is so because they're insensitive you need to uh, change the way you identify so that you can claim this scholarship. Patrick agrees, he goes, that scholarship then comes up throughout the script. As Patrick, uh, his uncomfortability with the fact that he had to do that reoccurs several times. He comes back, at one point he's written an editorial in the paper amidst all these other issues about this specific incident with Dean Sarah Daniels. So that's sort of one of the plot points. The next one has to do with Ross, one of the professors. This is the professor she's in a relationship with. He has just returned at the beginning of the play from picking up... uh, Uh, one of the other professors that he has (laughs) previously been in a relationship with before Sarah got there. And so he and this other professor are now going to be back together, but he hasn't told Sarah that they were in a relationship before, and he breaks up with Sarah then in that first scene so that he can return to his relationship with this other professor, and that then their tenuous friendship in the wake of having a relationship comes up several times throughout the play. Ross often acts as sort of a sounding board for her, and she for him. Uh, Interestingly, even though they're no longer together and she's clearly upset about the situation. Then there is a group of other deans that are on a council to evaluate student affairs, classes, things like that. And these deans are extravagantly pompous and ridiculous. And they have several (laughs) scenes revolving around a event that is occurring with an African American student named Simon Simon has been receiving racist notes and eventually attacks on his dorm room on campus and so this group of deans is trying to figure out what to do about this problem of uh, a racist student on campus doing things to this African American student. They hold a series of forums that go spectacularly badly and then they try to start a student affairs group to discuss among the students what what can be done about the problem of racism at belmont college and that doesn't go very well and eventually at the end of the play boilers, they learn that simon was posting the racist notes on his own door and throwing the rock through his own window he's doing it to himself they vote to expel simon much to sarah's dismay and sarah then in the final scene of the play she calls simon at home to try to figure out what happened those are the things that happen, but I'm interestingly, Jackson, I'm just realizing I don't think I did a very good job at talking about what this play is actually about. <laughs> because well, the, the play's really about Sarah's journey to discover to to overcome her own sense of her being a racist.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that 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 strips it down pretty well, but what she did do is talk about all the elements that kind of put her in a pressure cooker wherein she is forced to engage that racism. that she has, that she's kind of trying to forget about. Just a little bit of uh, backstory that we can throw into it as well. Her previous uh, job brought out a lot of those uh, racist tendencies in her, at least to herself. Not in a very public way, but she realized that she had a lot of racist tendencies in her previous job. So her taking this job up in Vermont, Belmont College in Vermont, um, was a kind of way to mitigate that. And it turns out it followed her here.
1: That's right. And in, in later in the play, it's revealed that this phrase, "moved to vermont is her way of describing escaping the problem of her own racism by moving away from black people the idea is there's not a lot of black people in vermont so she moves to vermont to an area that's mostly white not because she has a sense of white superiority or anything but because she's scared of the way that she treats black people the the problems that that causes for her and for them the unfairness of it the unjustness of it
0: but also her inability she says to change Mm-hmm. One of the kind of harder hitting reviews of this play that I saw was uh, accusing it of being a racist play, um, uh, and and it, it certainly has the theme of racism is a very strong theme in this play. But I, I wonder if that I, I think that critique is a little off the mark um, for for the play itself being racist. But I wonder what your thoughts are around are around it, Jacob, of whether this play treats the topic of racism well or not.
1: I think this play treats the topic of racism, I, I, I hope in its best version, it treats the topic of racism just openly. It It is willing, and Rebecca Gilman, through the story, through the characters, is willing to take uh, people who feel like they have racist attitudes, who act in racist ways, and take them at their face when they say, this is not how I want to be, but how I am and how I wish I were different, but I don't think I'm going to be. And that's sort of ultimately where Sarah ends up at the end of the play. She says, I, I just can't see that I'm really going to be able to change. I've been trying to change for forever, but this is the way that I am. I don't want to be like this. I'm, I would try to get better, but I'm just not sure anything's ultimately going to change. She has been sort of defeated. I have several characters accuse her of being cynical in the way that she views this because she says, I, I'm not sure that there is a revelation moment. I'm not sure that there is a moment to wake up and everything changes, your viewpoint changes, you understand racial and power dynamics, and you're going to be better in the future. She, at the end of this play, has reached a point to say, I don't know that that can ever happen to anybody, let alone to me. And the play does not necessarily punish her for having
0: that point of view. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This the the play. I, I agree with what you said. And 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 it's. It, I think it's interesting to see. I mean, most of the people who talk in this play, all the uh, empowered or enfranchised people in this play, are white and are processing their racism. Um, but I think you're right. What this play does is it kind of provides a space for that racism to be exposed. And uh, and it doesn't like try to fix it or try to tie a bow on it. Um, but it exposes racism as opposed to perpetuates racism or or continues that that racism along it it provides a space for for people to grapple with the themes to be exposed uh, their own racism racism to be exposed and to try to figure out a way to move along uh, out of it.
1: And I also th- I think that it is possible that thirteen no well, almost twenty years later I was thinking thirteen years because two thousand seven is the movie but th- the play is much older than that it's almost twenty years old now I I think this much later it's possible that there's there's probably some room for criticism, or at least there are some people that would criticize Gilman for the decision ultimately to make Simon the perpetuator of his own attacks. I I admit that that is an uncomfortable part of the script. I'm not sure that I feel the same in saying it's uncomfortable in that I ought to criticize Gilman for it. In fact, I might even say it's so uncomfortable that it's a it's a benefit to the play, you know, it's it's a positive for the playwright. She's written a very uncomfortable series of things that happen, a very Uh gray series of things that happen that are not so black and white, good guys, bad guys, racists, non-racists, you know, winners and losers. She has written a very murky world of some people trying their best, some people really failing at what they were trying to accomplish, some people having things inside of them that they're trying to let out, and ultimately all of it has to live together in this, sort of unclear world
0: Mm-hmm. A lot of the accounts of, of plays that I read about uh, where they put this play on have discussion times afterwards because the play leaves you in this kind of murkiness a little bit. It doesn't, doesn't again, it doesn't fix it by the end of the play. It, it, it holds that murkiness well and, and creates good conversation out of it.
1: And in fact, the conversation about fixing it is one of the central conversations of the last portion of the play. Because of all the events that have occurred, these series of forums on race as a result of this attack on Simon that have gone so badly, eventually the black student union starts boycotting these forums, student groups are formed, all this stuff happens, and the president of the college, who's a character we never meet, basically says, you guys gotta fix this. All you deans that have been trying to do it, you've actually just made the problem worse. Fix it. So the dean who's in charge, Dean Kenny, says to Sarah... Uh, By tomorrow morning, I need you to turn in a 10-point bulleted list of (laughs) solutions for what is going on. And Sarah says, in no explicit terms, you want me to solve racism with a bulleted list? Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I don't think Dean Kenny is is stupid enough to just say yes, of course. But the implication is you at least need to create a list of solutions to the problem. Right. And that list... Is then the reason why ultimately Sarah has to leave the school because in in sort of letting out all the internal uh, combobulations that have occurred because of all this stuff that's happened inside of Sarah's head, she writes out like a bad version of the list. Things like don't be stupid, the pros and cons of living near black people, move to Vermont, all that kind of stuff. But then she writes a real list. We don't ever know what was on that real list. All we know is that Ross thinks some of the suggestions were really good. Mm -hmm. really could have moved forward. We learned one of the suggestions was to start a cultural studies program. Again, this was like the year 2000. By now, colleges have cultural studies programs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know. At the time, that might have been a different kind of suggestion, especially for a mostly white college in Vermont. But that's one of the suggestions we learned. And we learned that Ross, admittedly a white person, thinks that the suggestions were good.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it I, it's a little bit of a time capsule that that moment around it but but I think the theme is still uh true. I think the 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 thing that happens around that the the pressure cooker again that she's in that forces her to kind of write all of her thoughts out and kind of force herself to look at herself and and how her beliefs have formed her actions um and and promoted her actions and and the discovery the public the public hmm, how do you say that the, to make it public uh, when when those feelings are made public are uh, kind of a a reckoning for her
1: absolutely there is another character in the script who i find so interesting and it's the character of mr myers mr myers is the campus head of security basically he's not a dean he's not a member of the faculty and he 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 seems to me to have a very different perspective on the goings-on than the folks that are stuck in this sort of highly academic echo chamber of Sarah's office.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mister Myers is, is is. I mean, if you've ever met a kind of security or or head of head of grounds at a at a campus, they tend to be those sort of down to earth, cool people. Um, and so, uh, and I agree, he kind of comes in and offers. Alternate views on each of these. I'm thinking towards the end of the play, he kind of is the. I mean, to 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 reduce it to uh, archetype, he's kind of an oracle almost. At the end of the play, he comes in and says, "Gosh, you know, it's it's you're you're okay, but wouldn't it have been great if you had done better." <laughs> like he kind of is is that 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 uh prophet role from like Greek tragedy almost at the end to come back and and show the sins uh, to to the the tragic hero.
1: Yeah, early in the play, he has a conversation with Sarah that I think is a really poignant, funny line. He uh, is a. They're talking about the f- this ridiculous idea of this forum led by a bunch of white people about race that they're going to have, and Sarah's not particularly in favor of it. She thinks that they ought to go try to talk to Simon first. Anyway, all the other deans and professors decide they're going to go ahead and do it, and just they start running with it, and that leaves Sarah and Myers alone in the office. And Myers says, these people, I've been here a long time. He says something to the effect of, They don't know their heads from a hole in the ground. Right. And Sarah starts to laugh. And Mr. Meyer says, after 20 years, you learn it's not so funny. I I think that line is so sharp. It goes by pretty fast. But this idea that... You know, in the audience, we get to watch these sort of aloof, pompous, disconnected academics that Gilman writes, and we get to sort of laugh at, oh, how stupid an idea that is. You clearly have no idea what you're talking about. Nowadays, we would know that that's never going to work. It's not even that great of a thing to start trying to accomplish. You're way over You should have talked to—we can see, because we're the audience— The flaws in their thinking systems and so the fact that they're so gung-ho about it and so pompous and so prideful about it becomes humorous it's a it's a source of the humor and the play and then to have that one outside adult come in and say it's it's not actually that funny when you realize how this plays out after you've been around so long and you see the consequences of that behavior it's not really that funny anymore
0: yeah yeah he's a sobering voice for sure and 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 you you get to see some ripple effects like visual on on stage effects of those uh forums I think they call it forums on racism on campus um mostly through like Patrick the role of Patrick uh shavas is uh, is one of those roles that you see some physicalization of the pain that those forums are causing but besides that it all happens off stage so it's important for characters like Mr Myers to kind of come in and remind you no 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 this is this is not working. This is not this is not going. What the 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 posturing that you're doing serves only really you in this scenario, and it's it's hurting the community you're trying to help.
1: Right, and and Mr. Myers is the only character who is not a dean or professor or student. the The play is made up of this group of deans and professors who have they're highly problematic in a lot of ways. And then students who come in to comment on what is occurring because of the decisions this core group makes. And beyond those two interacting power structures, you know, leaders and students, we only get one other voice, one other person who's a little bit disconnected from the power structure. We actually, it becomes very clear how disconnected Myers is from this particular power structure. Very late in the play, uh, Dean Kenny orders Mr. Myers to do something and Mr. Myers just says, nope. (laughs) <laughs> not going to do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, he exists outside of this dynamic. And so his commentary is particularly valuable, even though it's not, uh, you know, he's a white person as well. It's not a particularly, uh, it's not different than some of the other voices we get in terms of his race or identity. But it's different in his level of power and some of the choices that he makes, right? Because he drives Simon home at the end of the play. And what do they talk about? Baseball. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's not lecturing Simon. And in fact, a number of times, even after they learn what Simon's done, Mr. Myers reflects how much he likes Simon, how much he wishes it had gone different. He asks him why he did it. He wants to make sure he's okay when he gets home. Should I stay and wait for your parents?
0: Yeah, I think I think noticing him outside of that power structure that he hasn't bought in to uh, I, I think this play focuses at least uh, within the confines of the play on academia, but really a, a larger structure of racism in academia as much. He does he doesn't seem to be under the purview of the systems that say like uh, say the deans are even even Sarah's well meaning intentions um kind of get mis, misapplied when used within this system that she's a part of.
1: Yeah, whether they get misapplied or whether they were misintentions to begin yeah, with—that's yeah, yeah, yeah. a hard question. That's one of the questions of the play. Gilman provides us a, a brief character description of uh, of Sarah early, early in the play, and she, I think, tr- maybe tries to give us some help. She says. Sarah, I'm just quoting, is earnest in her desire to do right by her students. But where that direction goes, what the earnestness evokes, how she could have been different throughout the play is the question. I do want to just mention one more thing about Mr. Myers. In terms of the way Sarah constructs these world, these power structures, I think Myers has a very important thing very, very late in the play. The last scene, he brings in the only outside architecture we ever get. Uh, the play takes place in, like we said, Dean Sarah Daniels' office and in this highly esoteric academic architecture environment. I mean, it, it, this is one of those old New England colleges. Everything you can imagine about how grand everything is. This is a quote as well. Sarah says, lately I look around and I feel like I don't live up to the architecture. All the granite, the white columns, the blue shutters and slate roofs. It's also college-y. And then the negotiation of the architecture of Sarah's office, how big is it? How nice is it? What kind of an environment is she in when students come to her is a very important part of the play. But then in that last scene, Myers comes in and he brings in one of the only descriptions we have of an outside world, an outside architecture. He describes Simon's bathroom. And it's an odd, I mean, if you're if you're not interested in that as bringing in some sort of outside worldview, it's sort of an odd thing to do to to spend the the pages describing someone's bathroom. But listen to how different the description of the bathroom is than the description of the college. It was a guest bathroom. This is Myers. I'm quoting him. They had the liquid soap in the dispenser so you could really wash your hands. Sometimes people put special little soaps in the guest bathroom. It was not too big, not too little, nothing special. I mean, putting those two quotes side by side, Sarah's description of the college and Myers' description of just one of the homes of the students, those are two very different worlds.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, you get to see the uh yeah, the dichotomy between those two worlds and and just just knowing that outside of this this gilded palace of academia <laughs> that there are real people out there that have to get welcomed into this space somehow.
1: Yeah, and even earlier in the play, Dean Strauss d- describes like the dormitories. He doesn't do an architectural description uh, like uh, like Myers does of the bathroom, but he talks about like I've never b- I haven't been in a dorm in so long. Do they even have telephones? and it's it's just like how long have you been wrapped up in this totally other world what would have those what would have the conversations sarah has with students like patrick and greg been like if they hadn't occurred in her office you start to wonder that when you get these little peeks into how far away the outside world is from sarah's office
0: yeah, no, that's a good point. I I mean, the the way that uh space is negotiated in this play um between the different characters is is fascinating. Uh the the the, the way her office is negotiated even people are just waiting in her office most <laughs> many of the scenes. Um even even though she has this kind of uh space that she tries to control is especially control, especially when she's uh, interacting with students. A lot of like you can come in now, you can go now, door open, door closed. um the the power structures around her have no reverence for that control. Oh, <laughs> the that's- other. That's
1: very interesting, and in fact, it's even it one more level is added because in another conversation with Mr. Myers, Sarah reveals that when she started this job, they didn't even give her a key to lock her own office. They said they don't need it. They have this culture of respecting mm-hmm. each other's personal space, which, of course, they don't do. They really don't Dean do. Kenny walks in and takes something off of Sarah's desk at the end of the play.
0: Yeah, I love the following revelation from Meyer. You almost picture it as a bit of blocking. He says, I guess I'll bring you a key. Looks at door. I guess I'll have to bring you a lock as well, because um, <laughs> the door itself has no lock on it. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so, so uh, there, there is that interesting kind of like what little control she tries to have is uh, denied to even her in this space. That ac- the academic uh, people and power structures still move into even her space and in, in in that negotiation. And then
1: there's these large windows in her office as well. And the, the large windows are described at the beginning. They just say they provide a lot of light. And as a metaphor for an office that is closed off from the outside world, I have to imagine those windows can be pretty impactful. If you were directing this and working with a lighting designer, finding the moments when the outside light impacts the internal world that Sarah's negotiating in could be really impactful visually.
0: Mm hmm. Especially with the final scene calling for the scene to take place outside. You can't see my air quotes, but uh, the final stage direction, she goes outside and feels the sun uh, on her at the end of the play. So uh, so that's a fascinating thing to kind of if, if you are playing with light through windows through the play and how it affects what happens. That's a fascinating way to end it.
1: Yeah, she goes to the windows and looks outside. And so that that outside light and warmth is able to come into her in a very different way. And that stage direction is pretty notable. I mean, that's sort of odd that that would be in there if there isn't a play on the relationship of these windows to letting in something from the outside. And so in this final moment where her decision changes, where where she makes a decision to move forward in some way and just talk to Simon. And here's the deal. I mean... She's talked to Simon a number of times before. She goes off stage and talks to Simon. She says, I'm going to talk to Simon, like, probably three or four times throughout the rest of the play. So I am interested, Jackson, why is this moment at the end feel so different?
0: Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, part, part of it is that she's alone. Um, I don't know there's a lot of other scenes in the play where she's just alone in her office. There's almost always someone either waiting outside for her or waiting inside for her when she gets to her office. Um, and I think the other reason is, uh, is she's, she's, uh, gosh, she's on the phone. Um, the, the, the kind of, uh, we, we see one side of the conversation in this and, and it, it, it. it It makes that moment just a little bit more impactful. We don't even get to know if the other side is listening. At one point, she just repeats a phrase over and over, um, and you—you kind of—I'll actually repeat the phrase for you, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, Oh, Simon, listen, don't be so hard on yourself, okay? Simon, Simon, it's okay. You hear me, Simon? That that like that back and forth. You, you you almost feel the aloneness <laughs> in that interaction and the desire, despite distance and despite uh, being a part of a different uh, set structure and power structure that she is kind of still trying to reach and stretch herself.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I also think that what you just said, the different power structure matters, too, because now... Both she and Simon are in a very different relationship than they ever have been before. They're in fact they're both in different positions. Simon is no longer a student, he's been expelled. So he doesn't have the power relationship with the dean that he would have had as a student. And she is no longer a dean. (laughs) She's quit her job at that point. So neither of them have any reason to talk to each other anymore. She's not talking to Simon in an official capacity from some official purpose. He's not talking to a dean to try to get something. You know, one of the students references early on, you're the dean, you're the person I go to when I need something. Those power things have been stripped away to some degree. It'd be naive to claim there's not still something there, but it's changed fundamentally. And that causes this conversation to be a very different relationship. You know, early, uh, maybe right, right after act, I think it's right at the act break, right after the act break, right when they come back in act two, Sarah's talking about how she screwed up Patrick's scholarship. And she's talking about how I tried to be just upfront about the fact that there's racism in the system and that this is what is going to need to be. I tried to be practical just to get him the money and be open, open, upfront, acknowledge I thought we were on the same team. And then she says, but I forgot that there was a power structure at play that prevented us from being in the same place. It couldn't just be that we were just working together to counter things because I had power over him. And so that changed what was going on in a way that caused me to mess
0: this up hmm Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you brought up, brought up power and power structures uh, between the professors and students, because I think that's one of the fascinating uh, parts of this play. There's big, long scenes between Patrick and Greg, who are the two students that we meet in this play, where they're talking to Sarah, and it's kind of, they're they're bringing their perspectives and their their goals to the situation, but that power dynamic is there, right? Like, uh, it's a little bit from the from the mouth of babes comes these like wisdom, <laughs> these wisdom passages for the play, especially from Patrick. But I think eventually from Greg as well. Greg goes on a journey in this play, much like uh, Sarah ends up going on. Um, and and by the end of the play, is has his own wisdom to add. But it's always from the position of a student talking, having to talk up to a position of authority.
1: Right. And then at the end of Act One, the last scene that we see Patrick, he's just informed her that he's transferring to NYU. Yeah. And so that changes his relationship a little bit. And he's able to say some things that are pretty impactful to the I think the overall racial conversation in the play that I'm not sure he would have said in other scenes where he's still a student, still trying to get what he needs out of this dean, still in a position where he does not have the power that she has. At one point, you know, she's apologizing over and over. And he says, it's like you just want me to wash my hand, wave my hands over you and forgive your sins or something. That's not me. I'm not I'm not a savior.
0: Yeah, well, that that's a huge theme in this play is her apologizing over and over, and that that comment from Patrick draws it out in the open. It's like you you apologizing all the time is it is not gonna be the solve for this. <laughs> you can't just always say you're sorry and and expect a, a hand motion to absolve you of this. You have to actualize something like it. And at this point, at this point in Patrick and her relationships, the relationship pretty much isn't salvageable. To the point that he leaves and she still is is like apologizing to him after he's gone. Um, You kind of get the sense that this needs to have some sort of lasting change for an interaction in the future.
1: Absolutely. And, and the, you know, it's interesting that Sarah's perspective shifts on what kind of practical change is even possible over the course of the play. Early in the play, after the first forum has gone, uh, they thought, the, the faculty thinks very well, Sarah later learns from the students that they thought it was incredibly patronizing, but the faculty thinks it's gone so well that they're going to hold a second one. And Sarah says to Ross, I think if you're going to do these, you need to come up with some sort of practical plan, some sort of list of things that we can move forward and try to accomplish. Then much later in the play when Sarah's asked to create that list, raw and she doesn't want to do it. She doesn't think it'll work. Ross says, "Didn't you tell me that we needed to create some sort of set of practical plans, some sort of lists?" And Sarah says, "That's back when I was naive and stupid. Back
0: when I thought <laughs> something like that would work." Right, right. That 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 dynamic early on in the play is another interesting one uh just to add add more to the pressure cooker analogy. Sarah Gives good advice at the beginning of the play, <laughs> like this forum is a terrible idea. <laughs> that 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 uh, especially Dean, Dean Strauss is like championing championing this forum, and he wants to move really fast too. Everyone is outraged that this racist action could be happening on campus, and uh, so they move really fast to do this forum before they even know if Simon uh, would appreciate this sort of reaction to this information. Um, yeah,
1: Sarah basically says as soon as these racist messages are discovered and the faculty. He jumps into, we need to hold a forum to to talk to everybody about how racism is among us. And Sarah basically says over and over, we should go talk to Simon first. Let's just find out what happened, see how he's feeling about it. He may not want to be the subject of a discussion like this. We need to talk to him. That becomes a a refrain that she uses sort of throughout the play. I'm going to go talk to Simon. We should ask Simon. Dean Strauss at one point comes and says, Simon has to come to these forums. They're going so badly because Simon won't come. And she says, why don't you go ask him? You go talk to him. But then there's this other odd piece of Sarah's relationship with Simon. Through the whole play, she says maybe five to ten times, Simon's not shy. He's just quiet. Simon's not shy, he's not shy, he's just quiet. No, I, And other characters will say, well, Simon's shy, that's why he doesn't want to... No, he's not shy, he's just quiet. And then, Mr. Myers comes back from dropping Simon off at home. And Mr. Myers says, Simon said that he was probably just too shy to have a room by himself. That's why he felt so lonely. And Sarah says, in order to highlight this, probably in terms of the playwriting, she she asks the question, he said he was shy? And Myers says yes so there's this little sliver of sarah herself is imposing something onto simon that simon would not say is true about himself she has this sense of simon just quiet he's not shy that she holds on to and apparently if she had asked simon simon would have said he was shy Right. So even she is guilty of not truly listening to Simon in some way, not truly learning about him.
0: Mm-hmm. If, I think if, I think you've hit on something really uh, kind of a, a, a deep thread of this play is that if the a way that you should engage this is through intentional listening and intentional speak with e- speech with each other and i think we get that in greg some of greg sullivan's storyline again from the student uh comes this this uh this wisdom uh, he's been trying to run this oh what's the name of the organization he's been trying to run
1: students for tolerance i think without yes. checking my script i believe it's called students for tolerance
0: that sounds familiar he's been trying to run the students for tolerance group which starts is kind of like he wants it on a resume a little bit Uh, some of it is genuine he wants to have conversations the (laughs) play has a
1: lot of funny moments in it and that is one of them Yep. It's, it's sort of like uh, icky funny, but uh-huh. uh, Greg has come in to ask Sarah to help him found a Students for Tolerance group, and they need some funding to make posters and stuff, but the funding's not going to be able to come through for a couple of weeks because of how slow things work in colleges. And yep. Greg says, do you think it would be inappropriate for me to say I'm the president of Students for Tolerance <laughs> even before we have our first meeting? Yep. And Sarah says, what do you mean inappropriate? And he says, well. Look, the resume's a little thin. Right. So I'm going to go ahead and say I'm the president of Students for Tolerance. Right. <laughs> and sarah doesn't i think notably in terms of some of the other things we've discussed sarah doesn't meant doesn't offer a criticism of that particularly at that point she kind of dodges around it actually well i can't really advise you on it but then later after she's quit she goes
0: ahead and gives it to
1: him pretty up front i thought you were just doing this to put it on your resume
0: yeah yep and what he what he uh, reveals in that scene is that yeah maybe originally but what happened was they there's there's a bit of complication they need a faculty uh supporter so they get dr Strauss or Dean Strauss to come and Strauss just talks the whole time. Doesn't shocker. allow shocker. <laughs> doesn't allow for any conversation. So they don't invite him to the next meeting and they have the meeting separate. And what ends up happening at this meeting is honest conversation happens, honest listening happens. You get both sides. He says that it was tough conversation too, painful conversation. And there were tears and there were hugs, and they're meeting again. And there's going to be more conversation as a result of it. So yeah, that's Yeah. The, so
1: they they have this meeting without Dean Strauss and it's basically just white students who attend and so these white students have a a pretty open frank conversation among themselves that none of them really know any black people (laughs) and so they then go to the uh black student union and ask to have a conversation involving them and they have that conversation in the black student union house again that location of conversation comes up again they're on the footing of someone else and this is where that, what you're describing, this sort of open, free-flowing, here's what, here's what I'm thinking, here's what you're thinking, let's bat it around, let's talk, let's be open and listen to each other, at least the way that Greg describes what happened, occurs.
0: hmm Yeah, yeah. That, I think that's a, that's a really important theme for any sort of post-discussion is that it takes you coming out of the house of power, basically, and going to where you want to see some reconciliation for that reconciliation to have the chance to happen.
1: Right, because originally this group was meeting in one of the campus lecture halls. Yeah. Another sort of grand architectural place where the power is really built into the room, right? The lecture hall is very much, look at me, I'm the lecturer. Right. And then they because they don't want to meet with Dean Strauss, they move into a, a dorm room of a white student. But eventually that conversation is carried into a very different space.
0: We often like to try to identify where the title of plays is. Uh, are within the script, and and uh, th- there's almost always something evocative to come from it. And this play, there certainly is something evocative to come from it. Um, ah, uh, the the title of this play comes pretty late in the action of the play. Yeah,
1: yeah, it, it's pretty clear where the title comes from. Just after they've discovered that Simon was doing these racist notes and attacks on himself, Dean Strauss brings up this old, pretty racially charged story of Little Black Sambo. And the story is that Little Black Sambo has these beautiful clothes, new clothes, and a tiger jumps out, several tigers, and they steal his new clothes from him one by one. Eventually, he comes upon the tigers arguing amongst themselves which of their clothes are prettier, and the tigers end up chasing each other around a tree, and they strip off all these clothes to do the chasing. So Sambo is able to steal his clothes back, and then he watches, and the tigers chase themselves around the tree so fast that they quote spin themselves into butter spinning into butter. So that story that uh, pretty racially charged old mythic story is where the title of this play comes from.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um it's it's and it's kind of a yeah, it's they spin themselves into butter. Um he picks up his clothes and the butter apparently and eats That's some right. of the butter. He eats the butter. Yeah, so um <laughs> yeah it's 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 towards the end of the play. they've discovered that, as you said that they've discovered that Simon is the one who has uh committed these or or written these notes and thrown the rock. and this is this is the moment. This is the story that is told that they gets translated into our title. I wonder like, ah, oh, that's that's a charged thing to try to <laughs> to try to unpack for the title of the play.
1: Yeah, it's an evocative title. It's a memorable title. As a a title snob, it has those characteristics of being (laughs) something that is a striking image, very memorable, rolls off the tongue really nicely, easy to say. It has all that, and yet it's connected to this very uncomfortable story. Mm -hmm. And again, that uncomfortability in this case is maybe not something that I'm accusing Gilman of doing wrong, but maybe celebrating her for doing right. It's possible right. that the uncomfortability of it is part of it.
0: Yeah, that's that's totally true. And there's there's ways that you could interpret it. I think that there's some that you could lean into some of that tension. I mean, the 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 people who are the tigers in that story are the deans and the tigers don't come off well in the story. <laughs> Um, so, so there's, there's that aspect of it. Um, and certainly you, you see them kind of spin themselves crazy throughout this play, the deans, especially of this, of, of, uh, of the school, you know, uh, chase, chase each other all, all around and try to undercut each other throughout the play. And, uh, as well as just, just kind of frenetically take away the things that are, are the, the students to, to make it their own.
1: Well, yeah. So the Dean Strauss, the 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 probably the most pompous and problematic Dean of them all, or at least the most in the most obvious ways, he just he tells this story, and then he this is his summation of it, which is just
0: yeah, an bear, essay bear with us here, missing the point. But <laughs> yeah.
1: this is how he sum- summarizes the story after he tells it. Uh, 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 I'll, I'll read the last line of the story and then the summary so little black sambo got himself a spoon and scooped up the butter and put it on his pancakes and ate the tigers up which is just what simon brick did to us Good. he got <laughs> us all in a whirl over nothing Gosh. Right, like that's the point of that story right <laughs> <laughs> little black sambo tricked the tigers into getting in a whirl over nothing uh, that I mean, that yeah. that is a, just like a look at the characters in that story and who are the heroes and who are the villains and who are the foolish ones and who are the victims in a totally different light than the story actually presents itself.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. It's just another instance of like Strauss Strauss misses the boat a lot in this play. And this is another instance of him just like not being aware of how how kind of sunken he is into this this power structure that he's a part of.
1: Although that, that may be, perhaps, why the title holds up when it's when it subject to deeper investigation. Because the story that Dean Strauss tells, and then I think misinterprets, is that Little Black Sambo, this character, tricks all of these tigers into spinning themselves into butter. But the reality is, it's the tigers who argue amongst themselves. Right. <laughs> they trick themselves into spinning into butter, and that, the, the tr- maybe a, a better, m- more aware interpretation of the story, actually is a fairly good summary of this play. Yeah. The faculty spin themselves into butter while blaming this this outs these outside parties for tricking them into it somehow, for mm-hmm. misinterpreting, misunderstanding all this stuff. When the reality is the Tigers did it to themselves. Yeah. And so yeah, does there's- the faculty.
0: Exactly. There's, there's, it's, it's all them kind of getting into this frenetic uh, pace around themselves and trying to fix, fix the things, get all the wins out of the situation that are possible. Uh, the other, like, little current under this play is that they're trying to keep the school up. There's talks about trying to get more students here. They don't want the news to get out. So there's like this tension of like we need to keep uh, this this school on the up and up, and 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 that that energy that they pour into that is part of that spinning that happens in the play.
1: So Sarah I think is I mean she's the she's the person on the journey that we follow the protagonist and and I think in most realistic worlds she's the the central character she's who the story is about and that is interesting to me because like I said at the beginning, you know, you heard me describe the plot, but so much of the plot that I described happens off stage, and that's why at the end of that plot, I said I don't actually think I did that good of a job summarizing <laughs> what this play is about, because almost all of that happens off stage. Yeah. This play takes place in Sarah's office, and it's in some ways a series of discussions about things that occur outside of the office, outside of the action of the play that we see
0: mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. I agree that there's there's uh, a lot of it from the outside. I think it's interesting to note uh, again, the extra forces that are that we do get to meet from. Her life in her office. So Ross Collins serves as like this match under her this whole time. Um, not only is this thing happening outside her office, in her office the relationship that she was a part of for the last however many months, I don't think it's been a full year, is is not only falling apart, but then kind of continuing to be taken advantage of by Ross. <laughs> the, the Their relationship, he, he breaks it off right away at the beginning of the play like Jacob said, but then he continues to uh, try to Basically, de- demand some friendship from her or not pick up the message that she does not want to be around him um, well, for the rest of the day. Well, that's certainly the play. message
1: she gives him early. I don't know. It's interesting. Later on, their conversation becomes a lot more... Uh, on equal footing in terms of both of them wanting to participate and leaning on the other for some sort of backboard sounding board comfort kind of a relationship. Mm-hmm. But you're right that the 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 piece of the plot that is about Sarah and Ross does occur mostly on stage. The pieces of the plot that are about Sarah and Patrick, to keep it the scholarship, do occur mostly on stage. But those parts Mostly occur in Act One. <laughs>
0: That's true. <laughs> I mean, the,
1: the the stuff about her and Ross uh, breaking up is mostly resolved into sort of an uncomfortable friendship by the time Act Two occurs. Patrick doesn't reappear after the end of Act One, but this off-stage racial forums, the meeting of the student group, and the attacks on Simon Brick and Simon Brick getting expelled—all of that occurs off-stage, leaving Sarah on stage for a different journey than maybe what the like I tried to give the basic plot summary would really fairly represent what is that journey
0: yeah um i think some of the journey is is a one of kind of it's it's almost a tragic journey um as i've been trying to think about it a little bit more this kind of tragedy of of good intentions uh, based upon uh the denial to look at what you're basing them on um that was a bit clunky but uh <laughs> but i think that that's part of what just or uh, uh sarah goes on through this play is uh the realization that she can't ignore it anymore that that she's seeing her actions and her reactions especially um being derived from this space of of uh (laughs) of racism she she realizes throughout the play that she's a racist and that her actions are being governed by that reality
1: it's interesting too that that she so much of at least the first maybe two thirds of the play centers around this almost this test of Sarah's, which is, can I still get things done that I think are good things, that are ultimately about justice and equabil- uh, equitability and uh, fighting oppression? Can I still do good things, practically accomplish those kinds of things, even if I know my heart isn't in the right place? This is where the idea that she can give Patrick $12,000 becomes such a highlighting example. She says over and over, I'm just gonna give you $12,000. I'm trying to give you, I'm trying to make sure that the college is the one that owes you, not that you have to concede anything to the college. She's got this idea that there, that there might be a way to just do things that she knows are good without having to interact, uh, or, or without having to interact more with what is going on inside of her at the same time.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a compelling a compelling piece for the play, too, because doing is is what everyone tries to do in this play. Um the only person who who again probably is is not that doesn't doesn't try to fill that role is Mr. Myers, who listens. <laughs> he comes back and we we learn almost more about Simon than we've learned through the whole play in this last scene with Myers who listened to him. Um versus pretty much everyone Uh, In this play, not listening of the the faculty, I
1: think that might be also one of the areas where uh, 20 years later, it's a little uncomfortable because even the students who represent some, you know, some sort of positive changes, even they have moments where they're not doing particular, you know, where their actions are not inscrutable.
0: That's a good point. This is a messy play. Um, there's there's a lot of messy interactions between these people, and I think reactions in general in this play are are out of spaces of pain and not being heard well. Um, so that's part of the exposure that this play gives you is to this 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 pretty raw thing that hides under a facade all the time, um, especially in academia.
1: And. The, the doing you know trying to accomplish something practical even despite the um the 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 fact that your intentions may not be pure that there may be things that you are ashamed of in your heart I think that is still a fairly relevant discussion to have I think even today even amidst all the elections that are going on right now we're having similar discussions as a people about you know what what can I accomplish even if everything everything about me is not what I want it to be, even if some things about me are worthy of harsh criticism. You know, some of the stuff that Sarah reveals to Ross about how she feels inside about the internal racism she knows she has are, are hard, terrible things. They're, they're things that a, a good thinking person you would hope does not think or feel. And that's maybe some of those situations in which Gilman's willing to just put it all out there on a table in a way that makes some people uncomfortable.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and 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 as an audience receiving that, this play um, forces you to go there, and I think that's why the conversation is important afterwards. Like it, it forces and kind of stirs up what's underneath the uh, marble pillars, um, what's underneath the granite floors that we uh, live through each day, and and pushes pushes the audience and uh, obviously the characters of the play to ask the question of how do we how do we stir that up how do we get beneath it and let uh and, and do some work around that deep stuff so that we can act better in the future
1: and it doesn't demonize what it finds under those marble columns i don't think you know even the stuff that is uh, worthy of criticism that needs to change. It doesn't just immediately throw the baby out with the bathwater, or at least that's the perspective the play takes, that there, there's something that can be accomplished. There is humanity inside the parts of the human that we would rather not be there. That's a little bit clunky, too, but it's kind of a, it, the, in, in discussing this play, it can get kind of clunky because it's messy. In it's... fact, in, in Sarah's final conversation with Greg, I think they she and Greg kind of say it best when they, they're discussing how these conversations amongst these students of different racial backgrounds have gone. And they both kind of come to the same conclusion. It's hard.
0: Mm-hmm. It's really hard. It it is hard. And 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 uh you know, even even Mr. Meyer's uh, exhortation at the end that wouldn't have been nice if you had done better is is <laughs> is one that is continue could continually be said. Um you don't get the sense that that this play uh finishes finishes yeah. with something that makes you comfortable. And that's um, what I would
1: say too, is that I do think Sarah is I do think she receives fair criticism for her perspectives, for the fact that she um you know has this sort of hidden part of herself that she's capitulated to that she She's run away from that escapism. I'm not sure is celebrated in it. I think it is adequately by both Ross and Myers, uh, told off highlighted as wrong, even though I think maybe some of the criticisms of the play that have come up over time, maybe look at that part of Sarah and say, well, in total, Sarah is not a character that is demonized particularly by the play or made to appear, you know, as, as the bad guy, quote unquote, but the parts of her that are especially problematic are highlighted by other characters and set off and criticized.
0: and And once in a while, uh, acknowledge their culpability in it. Um, Ross acknowledges his culpability in it once or twice. I don't think uh, the other deans really do, but every once in a while, not really. but every once in a while, other characters also apologize or note their own uh, sins along the way.
1: And this testing out of whether it's possible to accomplish practically good things, you know, whether it's possible to work on the problem of racism and injustice in the world, even while knowing inside that you're a racist, this question that Sarah tests out over the course of the play, that's another situation in which the converse, the phone conversation with Simon at the end highlights a change. Because now that Simon is no longer a student and she's no longer a dean, there's nothing to do anymore. She can't be talking to him to accomplish some goal, to figure out some problem, to catch the racist, to, uh, you know, make sure that Simon can still be a good student despite all this. There is nothing to accomplish. There's nothing to do other than just to talk. Right. And you see that in the way that she has that conversation with Simon at the end and maybe is a, a way in which the play points to a path forward.
0: Yeah, in in its own kind of small small way, at the end, even even just like reaching out, reaching out for a phone call that is not laden with uh, the the uh, the trappings of your office, <laughs> to try to try to enact some change.
1: Right, that's the first conversation that we have where the two people are not both located in Sarah's office. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, she has a couple of times where she like calls out to the person in the hallway, "Hey, wait a minute." But other than just those snippets, there's no conversations in the entirety of the script that happen outside of. Sarah's office. That's the first one. So that's certainly
0: a change as well. Yeah, breaks breaks through the wall of the office. I think, I think we're close to the end of, we're pretty much at the end of our time here for this episode. This, uh, is a really deep play that can cause a lot of great conversation to come from it. Um, it is not lost on us that we're a couple of white guys talking about a play about racism and there's, there's more conversation to be had around it. So if you have anything to add to this conversation, if you've been in this play, read this play, watch this play, uh, en- enjoyed, uh, seeing this play as a movie, we'd love to keep having this conversation with you. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, uh, At NoScript Podcast is the username on all of those. We also have a Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on any of those sites, and we'd love to keep talking about this really kind of rich, deep, thought-provoking play with you.
1: Absolutely. If you'd like to recommend our podcast to your friends or your family or whoever, we'd love for you to do that. We suspect you know somebody that might be interested in these conversations. You can send them over to Spotify, to Google Play, to Apple Podcasts or to where our podcast is hosted on Podbean. We've put a link to the new episode every Monday on Facebook so you can find it there as well.
0: So until next week when we are talking about another play, I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob
1: Mann Christensen. Thanks for listening to No Script, the podcast. Bye.